I love that song. And the reason I love it is because it expresses who the goodness of God is and what he is about, regardless of what we feel like. And many times in our own spiritual development and our own really just in how we live our lives, it's all about how we feel. Would y'all agree on that? If I feel good, God must be good. If I feel bad, I'm angry at him. But here's the reality is when we begin to study Scripture and apply the truths of God to our life, regardless of how we feel, regardless of our circumstances, God is still God. God still has a plan for you. God still has a purpose for you. God still is good. And so our job and our heart's desire hopefully will be to have a Christocentric life to where we're honoring God in everything that we do. And as we come to the conclusion of the book of Ecclesiastes this morning in chapter 12, verse 8, we're wrapping up a 12-week series in where we find out just how we are to live our life in a summarized version. And let me help you understand what I mean by that. There are three phrases we've heard over and over again throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. One phrase, and if you remember this, I'm going to catch you up if you don't remember, is that we live our lives under the sun. And the author keeps talking about when you live your life under the sun, meaning in a manward direction, whether you're pursuing wealth, influence, power, pleasure, prestige, and even in death, our life is utterly and completely meaningless. In fact, the scripture says in Ecclesiastes over and over again, meaningless, meaningless, everything is what? Meaningless. And that's under the sun living, a manward direction. But then we go to the concept of under the heavens. And what that means is in a Godward direction, there is purpose. There is Christ. There is hope. And when we think about this whole idea of under the sun versus under the heaven, that is the choice of life. Agreed? Everything that we do day in and day out, is a choice of am I going to live life under the sun or am I going to live life under heaven? In your spousal relationships, are you going to be a spouse that's under the sun or under the heavens? Am I going to be a parent that's under the sun or under the heavens? Am I going to be a student that is under the sun or under the heavens? Because here's the deal. When we pursue under the sun, we don't have purpose. Everything is completely and utterly meaningless. And when we get to chapter 12, verse 8, we see the phrase that the entire book started out as. Now, what we're going to do just for a few minutes is we're going to tie up the loose ends of Ecclesiastes, and then we're going to put Christmas all in the middle of it. Make sense? And I want you to remember that the author is someone that's very wise. He was either King Solomon or he knew King Solomon, and he's saying this, don't do what I've done. You ever give advice like that? Don't do what I've done because that's meaningless. And in chapter 12, verse 8, he makes this statement at the end of the book. He says this, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is completely meaningless. But then something happens in verse 9. I want you to notice this and look on the screen with me for a moment. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted wisdom, not, imparted knowledge to the people. Now, I want you to understand. Let's go back to verse 8 again. I want you to see this. So interesting. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, everything is meaningless. And if we read right even before that, everything before that point is written in the first person. Do you see that? Then we go to verse 9, and it's written in the third person. Get this. He says, not only was the teacher wise. So what we look at, and we have to understand what's happening, it's like we've had this, watched this movie, and at the very end, the narrator comes back on and ties it together. Make sense? Now, I want you to go to verse, two, verse 1 and 2 of chapter 1. And I want you to see what's happening here. Chapter 1, the whole book starts out, if you remember, 12 weeks ago, he says this, the words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem, verse 2, and this is how he starts his book to the people. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. 
Utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. That's how he starts. And what he's saying here is that everything I'm about to talk about has no purpose. Nothing whatsoever when you live life under the sun. The word meaningless is a Hebrew word, and it's the word hibble. And basically it means a couple of different things. One, vanity. One, meaningless. The other, vapor, or just a breath. And to really dig deeper into that, I want you to understand something here, is that our lives under the sun not only are short, but are purposeless when we live life that way. Now, I'm in my 40s now, and so this, this concept is becoming a reality to me, okay? I celebrated Christmas with my grandmother. She's 90 years old. I am literally half her age right now, okay? That bothers me because I remember when I got my first car. I remember when I was 10 or 11. I remember when I'm my, my children's age. I remember being that age now. And this past week, we're passing around photos of the, different, of the kids and grandkids and things like that. And I'm seeing my children when we're pushing around in strollers. And that felt like yesterday. It's crazy. Just like a breath, right? Just that quick. And so he starts off by saying, everything under the sun has no purpose. And when you live your life that way, what you do is meaningless. And then he ends his thought in verse 8 of chapter 12. Read it with me again. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. It's called an inclusio. He's saying in verse one, chapter 1, verse 2, everything I'm about to say, if you don't live under the sun, is purposeless. And at the very end of his book, he says, everything I've said has no meaning whatsoever. So what are we to do? He's going to sum it up in the next few verses, but what are we to do? How do we handle this? I want you to go to the very last verse in the entire book of Ecclesiastes, verse 14. I want you to notice what he says here. Because it's almost like the narrator or the guy copying these events down completely says everything you've read so far is null and void. He doesn't, but it feels that way. Go to verse 14. For God will bring every deed in judgment into judgment including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. What he's saying here is this. You may feel like it's meaningless. You may be living life under the sun. But to God, it is totally meaningful. Everything we've done, everything we do, there is meaning behind it. And the meaning is this. I'm going to be Godward under the heavens or manward under the sun. That's the themes we see over and over again in this book. So what are we to do? How are we to have purpose? How do we tie up these loose ends? And really, what's the summary of all the stuff we've studied? Let me take a kind of a poll here for a moment or a vote. What is your favorite Christmas dessert? Now you thought I was going to be real serious in for a minute. <laughs> Brownies? Okay, bless your heart, that's good. And, and others of us, butternut cake, thank you. And we got any of y'all fruitcake people want to pray for your soul? There's one. I knew it was going to be you, Monty. I knew it. I knew it. Just leave. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, my, my father-in-law and my wife and my kids are in South Georgia celebrating Christmas with her parents today, and I had to miss that today. One of his favorite desserts is mince meat pie. Exactly. Exactly. That's just disgusting. They don't even make it for him anymore because everybody wants to just vomit thinking about the whole concept. They're eating, they're, eating, they're eating pumpkin pie with that good whipped cream and that wonderful crust right now. Uh, I love that. There's other, there's other Christmas treats, you know, that you can think of and cakes and brownies, but here's my favorite. Y'all ready for this? It's really simple, really easy. 
You probably had it this Christmas. You ready? You ready for this? Sugar cookies. I believe when you get to heaven, God is going to hand you a good cup of coffee and a sugar cookie. And I'm going to praise the Lord, <laughs> you know. Good stuff, man. And sugar cookies, I mean, the best kind of sugar cookies is that you take them out of the oven. Y'all feel me on this? I'm going to get some afterward and cook them because my kids aren't home and I can eat every one of them. And so I'm going to put, I mean, you can take them out of the oven, you let them cool for about a minute, you know what I mean? And you scrape them off the, the pan really quick, and then it's just, it's firm around the edges, but in the middle it's just soft and a little bit gooey, and it's just perfect, and it melts in your mouth and in your hand. It is awesome. And then you get a cup of milk, but we're lactose-free at my house, so you get a lactose-free milk, and we also drink almond milk because we're better than you, right? And so, you know, we get that, and you sit in front of your fire, and you're watching Home Alone, and the Christmas tree's on, and you take that gooey wonderful blessing called sugar cookie, you eat it. and You ain't eat just one. You eat all of them, right? And when my kids were little, they, I mean, you can get crazy with this stuff, y'all. Just think about the craziness with sugar cookies. You can decorate them. You can put frosting on them. You can put white frosting, chocolate frosting, cream cheese frosting, strawberry frosting, cherry frosting, all that stuff. You can infuse peppermint chunks in them. What? It's a sugar cookie. They're awesome. I like them. I don't know if you knew that. Christmas Eve is tomorrow. You want to bring me some sugar cookies? Well, I'm not going to share mine with you either. And so <laughs> here's the deal. It's almost like a taste of heaven to me. And what we're coming to at the very end of Ecclesiastes is that our purpose in living life under the heavens is to taste heaven. You're not going to get it completely because life happens, right? But God wants you to hear him, know him, experience him, taste him. To get a taste of what it's going to be like forever. And so how do we begin to do that? How do we begin to taste heaven? How do we summarize all this wisdom that we've learned about? All these things that we've begun to study and apply to our lives. How do we taste heaven? Because that's what I want. Do y'all want that? I really want to know what it's like to just enjoy God. Enjoy what he has for us. So let's begin to study these last three or four verses and make application here. Notice what happens here. We're tasting heaven, verse 14. Everything has complete purpose. God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. He has purpose for us. He wants you to know him. Let's go to verse 9. We go to the third person. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words where he wrote was what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads, they're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Any of you students just get done with finals? Much study wearies the body, right, students? Any of you guys got to file your taxes? <laughs> Much study wearies the body. <laughs> so let's just kind of dig through this for a moment. Let's, let's really hone in on verse 9. The author there, or the guy he's writing about, obviously was intelligent, but he also was intelligent in the sense that he applied wisdom and he gave it to others. He wrote it down in the book of Proverbs. He has truth based upon what God says, and he gives it to his people. And here's the deal. Many of us are so emotional driven, and there's nothing wrong with emotion, people. I mean, I, I mean, some of us in this room, we watch a Hallmark commercial, and it's like, oh, my gosh. You know what I mean? 
And, and, and the worst one is the PETA commercial when the eyes of the angel and the dog looks up at you. Don't you want to save me from the cold? And you're like, yes, I do. And I don't even care. And, the, and all, I mean, all that stuff. And you watch Rudy. You know what I mean? Rudy, I squall like a baby. They put Rudy on his shoulders and run him off the field. That's real. I mean, that's, wow. But here's the deal. Emotions can't dictate your direction. You follow me on that? And here's the point. Living life to taste heaven means we need to stop and think. We have to stop and think. That's the first principle I want you to grab hold of this morning. Go back to what it says here. Verse 9, not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted wisdom, knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words. And he wrote, when what he wrote was upright and true. I believe what God wants us to take from this is instead of being impulsive with our spirituality, impulsive with our living, is to stop and think, am I being manward by living life under the sun, or am I being Christward and living life under heaven? You get me? Where are we in this? I mean, this is, this is truth. This is real life stuff, guys. This is the difference to where I'm going to honor God what I do, or I'm just going to be purposeless in everything that I do. Francis Chan was head of the Human Genome Society, or council, during the 1990s, and he led a team of people to discover how the genetic code was made up. Basically, it's the human body's instruction manual. Why you have the hair color that you have, why do you have the skin tones that you have, why do you have the wrinkles that you have, or the dimples, or whatever it may have been. And when he introduced this to the world, the President of the United States, standing, I think it was in the green room of the White House, introduced him and said, this is the man that discovered the language of God. This is the man that discovered how we are designed. I thought that was really cool how he said this. Now, Francis Chan is a believer. Or not Francis Chan, Francis Collins, I'm sorry, was a believer, or is a believer. Wrote some really cool books about his experience, but I want to quote him here. He said, it's a happy day for the world. This is his speech before the president and the entire world about genetics. It's a happy day for the world. It is humbling for me and awe-inspiring to realize that we have caught the first glimpse of our own instruction book previously known only to God. Isn't that cool? And here's the point. When you stop and think, you discover truth. And when you discover truth and truth is brought to you, there is freedom that you get to experience. Truth and the experience that the Bible says, those who know Jesus will be set free. When you know Christ, when you discover that truth, you're free from sin, free from comparison, free from judgment, free to know God. But the truth of knowing, is this a lie or is this true? Is, is this the way they think? Is that the way? They th when you know truth, guys, everything changes. Would you agree? Even when it's hard to, hard to swallow. And when you stop and think, it brings truth to your brain. That changes everything. Stopping and thinking also brings pleasure. Throughout the entirety of Ecclesiastes, he tells us it honors God to enjoy your life. But here's the difference. There are many of us in this room, I want to say all of us in this room, that have been impulsive in our behavior in order to be happy, only get to the end of that road to find ourselves completely, completely convicted and regretful of what we've just done. Y'all ever been there? But here's the thing. When we do it in a godly way, when we stop and think about it, we find out that we find pleasure in God's sight in God's pathway, and that's real joy. You get me? Stop and think. Find pleasure, find truth. 
find life under the heavens. One more facet there. Let's go to verse 11. Notice what happens here, and I love what he says here. The words of the wise are like goads. Their collected sayings are firmly embedded in nails given by one shepherd. And he says, be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. When we stop and think, we discover truth, we discover pleasure, but we also discover pain. Because with wisdom, there is sometimes pain. I want you to think about this for a moment, guys. What I mean by that, we'll, we'll, we'll help you discover this verse here in just a moment. This is the difference between those who want to grow in their faith and those who want to grow in their faith but don't want to change. Because the truth or wisdom is sometimes hard to hear, right? It may be countercultural. It may be telling you that you're wrong. It may be telling you to change. And the pathway of wisdom can be painful because it demonstrates our own shortcomings, right? It demonstrates that we have issues. It demonstrates that we need to change some things or be countercultural. But here's the interesting thing. Go back to verse 11. It says, the words of the wise are like goads. And what a goad is, and many of you know this, it's just kind of, it's not a very sharp stick, but it's kind of a pointed stick that shepherds used to use in order to goad or prod the sheep along to keep them out of harm's way. Now, was it necessary to stay, keep them out of harm's way? Absolutely. Was it painful to keep them out of harm's way? I'm sure it is. But here's the thing. When you stop and think, the next applicable point is that when we do experience that pain, use the wisdom that it's given you. You see, a life under the heavens means we apply that wisdom and we use it. It just doesn't sit vacant and void. Now, I got goats. Some of you know that. And I don't know what you call a goat farmer. I guess it's a shepherd, but kind of a weird shepherd. I don't know. But I've got goats, and uh, i got five goats. Uh, one of them passed away, so we need to get more goats. And so my daughter, who I've been telling since she was a baby, uh, you're going to be a veterinarian you're gonna, because Daddy wants to stay in a good home. You know, you're going to be a veterinarian. Uh, she loves animals, and we found some baby goats for sale this week. And uh, we went and bought goats. And so the way, on the way over there, um, we were talking. And I was like, you know, we're buying these goats during Christmas time, and they've got to have Christmas names, right? you just got to do that. So we were thinking, okay. We'll call it Noel. What about Faith? Or what about, you know, we're throwing out different. What about Mary? No, I don't like Mary because we're only going to buy one. And uh, so we're throwing out all this stuff, and uh, uh, we turned on the road to pick up the goats. And I kid you not, this is for free for you this morning, the name of the road was Booger's Hill. I looked at my daughter. I said, I know what we're naming the goat. <laughs> but it's Christmas, so we've got to name it kind of Christmas names. So we get there, and we see the goat we're going to buy. and say, yeah, we'll buy that goat. But all of a sudden, this baby goat, it's about five months old, comes running up to us like a dog. In fact, I believe this goat is a dog in a goat's body. I, I'm not kidding, guys. I'm, I, you think, you, I'm, not, I'm not lying. And this goat comes trotting up, and it puts its little hooves on our, on our stomachs like it's a goat, like it's a dog. It licks us. It follows us around. We call it. It comes to us, chases the car, everything that a dog does. We can't keep, so we had to buy that, right? You have to buy a goat like that. So we got, instead of one goat, we got two. So we're going down the road. I'm like, Caroline, what are we going to call it? Because we got two girls. She goes, Mary and Josie. <laughs> so Josie is this goat who gets out of the fence. Guys, I am not kidding. It goes to the door and scratches at the door to come inside. That's where I draw the line. There's no goat coming in the house. You're a goat. I barely let my kids come inside, you know. You're not coming inside. 
we have to goad that thing to keep it safe. You follow me? We have to inflict a little bit of pain for it to recognize that if you don't get inside the safety of that fence, you're going to die. You follow me on that? Wisdom functions in the same way. When we choose to say, yes, this is painful, but this is purifying, it changes our perspective. And what the author is saying over and over again is this. Let wisdom goad you. Let the embedded nails lead you. Because notice that verse again in verse 11. They are from the shepherd. They are from your shepherd, Jesus. And while when we have to confront our sin, it is painful. And when we have to confront our shortcomings, it is hard. And when we have to change the way we live because it's not under the sun, it's challenging. We want to walk away. If you don't, what you do is meaningless. You get that? You have to live life under the heavens to find purpose, which means sometimes you're going to get prodded along by wisdom. And finally, in the midst of this, 14, verse 14 is so good, so rich. Notice what it says again. For God will bring everything, every deed, into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. While under the sun living is meaningless for us, it has complete purpose for the Lord. And everything that we do has purpose. We've already discussed that. And he wants us to taste heaven. And so here's the point behind this. Are you ready? Live out your purpose because what you do matters. How you parent matters. How you love your spouse matters. Choices that you make matter. What you represent matters. What you say matters. How you say it matters. Why? Because when you live life under the heavens, you're a representative of a holy God who reached into your soul and saved you. And there is joy in that. There is truth in that. There is peace in that. And when you don't, and when you choose to live life under the sun, it is completely and utterly quick and purposeless. It's vanity. It's meaningless. It's but a vapor. It matters. Make sure you live out your purpose. Make sure you're doing anything God calls you to do. It matters. But the question is this, how do I do that? Y'all ever been there? Many of us take up Scripture, and I was like this when I first read the Bible. We take up the Bible, and it's like, man, this is a spiritual calculus book. Y'all ever have that problem? I don't understand it. Let me sum it up for you in verse 13. This is the summary of the entirety of the book of Ecclesiastes. Get this. Now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. That's the point. If you've missed the last 11 weeks, you've caught up. Fear God and keep His commandments. That is your purpose. That's what you're called to do. When you want to find joy, that's your purpose. When you want to find hope, that's your purpose. When you want to find love, that's your purpose. When you want to find application, that's your purpose. Fear God and keep His commandments. And let me just say it a different way, okay? To fear God means you rejoice in, you be in all in, and you adore Christ. You become so Christocentric that your culture is Jesus, that your life is Jesus, that your hope is Jesus, that your peace 
is Jesus, that your mentality is Jesus, is that when you begin to apply truth to your parenting, when you begin to apply truth to your employment, to your employer, to your day-to-day activities, to how you keep your house, to what you do, to what you say, guys, you rejoice in, you stand in awe of, and you endure Christ because what you do matters. You with me on this? It's Christ. And so many of us here and across the world have no meaning and no purpose because we've chosen the under the sun living instead of under the heaven. It matters. Fear the Lord. Keep His commandments. Rejoice in, in be in all in, uh, and adore Christ. And then do what He says. Isn't that simple? I mean, we've just summed up Christianity for you. Know Jesus. He's giving you life for free. Ask Him to come into your life. You go to heaven one day, and as you live the rest of your life, to taste heaven, do what He told you to do. Why? Even as painful, He's goading you into a position to where you get to experience the pleasure and the truth of knowing the Creator. You follow that? Isn't that simple, guys? Know God and do what He pleases. It's real simple. Because your life matters. Your life completely matters. God has something for you. Not only does have life after death through Jesus, but you have purpose now. And your life matters. And the choices that you have in life, that I have in life, are boiled down to one thing. Am I going to live my life under the sun in this choice or under the heavens in this choice? You follow me? Because it matters. Filter your life through that. Fear the Lord. Keep His commandments. My brother's a science teacher, physics and chemistry, and he keeps up with a lot of things scientific, I guess, or space-oriented. And on the way home from our merged Christmas party, which is our student event, students that meet on Sunday night, he sends me a text message because I was picking up my son and daughter. He says, hey, man, when you get home, stand out in the field, stand out in the pasture, and look towards the east, and you'll see a comet. I thought, it'd be cool. Let's go see a comet. So we drove out in the pasture, got to the highest point. My son and I got out of the truck, and it was so dark. Couldn't see the comet, but as we stood there in the sky and looked up at all these lights and all the stuff and all the stars, it was just like my son looked at me, and this is kind of one of those moments that don't happen much as a parent, so I just I had to learn to be quiet. He just said, wow, to think how small I am and how big that is. Just kind of blows your mind sometimes. Y'all ever done that before? Just stood up there and went, golly. And the stuff that I studied in school, man, that, that star, it takes 50,000 Earths just to fill up half of that star, but yet it's a dot in the sky. But yet God in, him, in His love and His being and His presence thinks of me. That's wow for a moment, is it not? And as we sat there just looking at the stars, my mind drifted off to what it must have been like in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. In Luke chapter 2, the shepherds are tending their flocks by night. And you know, the shepherds were the worst people in the world. I mean, these guys were good at sinning. <laughs> the prostitutes had pathways to the fields where the shepherds kept their flocks. These guys were rough around the edges, redneck, just, just bad guys. In fact, some priests said there's no way they're going to make it to heaven. But yet God chose the angel, chose them for the angel to go announce uh, God's, or Christ's birth. Which blows my mind, and the point is that God comes to the worst of us to bring out the best for us. You see that? 
And so they're standing out in the field, and the angel comes and says, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to all men. And tells them, you go to the manger in Bethlehem, go to the stable, and you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothing. This is the king. This is, this is the purpose of creation, is to adore him and do what he says. And so in those moments, the shepherds, they ran to Bethlehem. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby. And in verse 20 of chapter uh, 2 in the Gospel of Luke, and I love this, and I just want to share this with you this morning. It says, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told of them. Now, just focus on that for a moment. I know I butchered it for a second, but notice what it says. The shepherds returned. Do you see that? Did they go to church? Nope. They went back to the fields. They went back to work. But when they returned, they were changed because they were glorifying and praising God of all the things they had heard and seen. Here's the point. I can't tell you this for sure, but I believe those shepherds went back fearing God and doing what he says. Life changed for them after that moment. And when we experience Christ, and we become those who are under heaven rather than under the sun, life changes for us too. Y'all feel me on that? So the question I have to ask this morning is just really simple. Has your life changed have you experienced Christ? And if you know Jesus, how is your life changing? Are we making this choice? Christian, listen to me for a second. Are you a churchgoer or are you a believer? Has your life changed? And are we making those decisions if you're a Christian here? If you're not, the gospel is for you. But hear me on this. If you're a Christian this morning, are, are, you, are we making the choices to live life under the heavens rather than under the sun? You feel me on this? Has your life changed? Are we returning back to where God places us, glorifying and praising the Lord, saying, I have witnessed salvation, and we got that. We're about to sing a song in just a minute, um, and it's based on the Christmas carol, The First Noel. Y'all know that song, right? Some of you have sang it this year already, and uh, it's not that song, but it's based on that. And I started thinking about what that word Noel means. And uh, Noel is a word that we use in that Christmas carol based upon the French word. You know, This is how you pronounce it. You ready? Noel. Um, which is based upon a Latin word, which means the first birth or the first Christmas. And that first Noel that the shepherds got to experience is something you can experience too through Jesus Christ. And the question we have to ask ourselves is this. Have we experienced Noel? Interestingly enough, the word El, E-L in the Hebrew language, also is the word for God. And many times, we, don't ex we, we experience Noel because we have not experienced Noel. You get it? Have you experienced God? Have you experienced Christ? Have you experienced hope? I want you to see what God has done for us. Because over the manger, what these candles represent, peace, love, joy, and hope, there is a shadow of a cross. And because that cross is empty and Jesus is alive today, you get to experience life. If you're here this morning, you've never asked Christ to come into your life. On the Connect card you were given, there are a couple of boxes. And one says, this morning I need Jesus. The second one says, I want to be baptized and make that decision public. And if you're a Christian this morning, have you made the decision to live your life under the heavens? Take that step of faith. And honor God and quit being meaningless. You with me on that? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Noel.
Thank you for the hope we have in Jesus. Thank you for the goads. Thank you for the things that prod us along. Thank you for wisdom. And I pray that in these moments, Lord, that you begin to work in us and change us. That you begin to overwhelm us with your grace. And that we would experience peace. That we would experience joy. That we would experience you. Christ, thank you for loving us. And I pray, Lord, we would leave here changed. Let us live life under the heavens, not under the sun. In Jesus' name we pray.